Okay, thank you. That was a good song. Okay, let's turn to 1 Samuel, chapter number 9. Uh, great message from Brother Fraser. Appreciate Brother Fraser. No, I mean, that was a great message. I shouldn't move on from that so quickly. It was, uh, it was good. It was really good. And uh, it was appropriate. And I do believe that the theme uh, that the Holy Spirit seems to have led through the meeting has been on the uh, need to be proclaiming the gospel and reaching the lost. Would you agree with that? Uh, you understand that uh, we don't consult about the preaching. Uh, we don't, we, pastor doesn't give us directives about the preaching. I appreciate that he's always just given liberty and trusted that the Holy Spirit will give whatever is meant to be given. Uh, I've never felt there are things I cannot say when I come up here. I've never felt restricted like that. I've always felt a liberty here, and I thank the pastor for that. Uh, but I think the theme of the meeting has been the need to reach the lost. And I, 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 cannot, I cannot emphasize enough how I absolutely believe that this is a last cry of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. Uh, I, 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 uh, I told you before, uh, I was lying in a hospital bed in Nakansawan uh, for several nights uh, in December. Uh, I don't often go to hospital in Thailand. Generally, my health has been quite good. But I was lying in the hospital bed and uh, feeling weaker, weaker. Uh, but I do believe very clearly the Holy Spirit said to me, uh, the end is near. There is much to be done. And uh, it wasn't a message that I believe he said to me. He said, go tell everybody that. He just said it to me. The end is near. There is much to be done. Uh, I have felt the Holy Spirit talk to me more in the last few years than any other time in my Christian life. Uh, a few years ago, I noticed the Holy Spirit was, was speaking to me using my first name. And uh, when that dawned on me that he was doing that, I remember I wept. And I felt how tender that was, that you would, you call me as if you know me. Uh, you call me as if uh, we have a closeness and you're God and I'm not, but that touched me. But the Holy Spirit has uh, spoken to me much more in the last few years than I can recall uh, uh, in, you know, all the years prior to that. I think there's two reasons for that. I think one is that the end is near. And I think you could be saying the end is near two hours before the end came and Christians will still go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you, you get what I'm saying? I don't think you're going to feel any different two hours before it happens than you feel right now. It's just hard to get through to us. It's kind of like talking about death. You know, uh, it's hard for us to understand the, the whole idea of death because it always happens to someone else. It never happens to us. You can be around it, you can be close to it, but it's never you. So it's hard to sort of to own that truth as like, well, this, this is definitely going to happen, you know. But I believe that the end is near. Uh, I don't know how near. I don't think God will, will choose to reveal that. Uh, it's enough that what he says, we should take him on his word. And you don't have to take Brother Shemish's word and what he said the whole... You can read it in your Bible. But, but the end is near. And I think that, that, look, there are a lot of things we could be doing, 
But I really believe right now the Spirit of God is saying, uh, reach the lost, reach the lost, reach the lost. Uh, go out, uh, uh, win the lost, preach the gospel. It's kind of a last call. That's what I really believe it is. So uh, I appreciate that, uh, that message. Uh, I, I love to be preached to. Thanks for being out, by the way. Uh, I, I, I don't doubt you're tired. And uh, I, I don't doubt that there's, um, you know, you're contending with some physical weariness. And I'm sure you had things you could be doing tonight if you were home. But you made a good decision to be out in church tonight. And uh, these, are not, these are not the events you come to that you regret. Uh, you, it's the right thing to do. It's, it's worth a little tiredness. It's a worth a little chaos in the morning trying to get the kids off to school. And all that happens. Uh, but it's worth it because we need preaching. And uh, we need to be hearing these things proclaimed. I love preaching. Preaching shaped and changed my life. Uh, and I loved it so much I sought it out. I was saved in a church that taught me how to worship God uh, but, but was not strong on preaching and certainly not strong on teaching. And whilst there were things I gained while I was there, I just had a, 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 an appetite, please teach me the Word of God. So then I stumbled out of that into the Presbyterians and, uh, and so, you know, a lot of the life kind of that was at the other place wasn't so much at that place, but they did teach me a lot of things in the Word of God. They were just dry but systematic teaching, but I was hungry for it. But I love preaching. I love preaching. I, 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 I looked out for it whenever it came. Now, I don't know if you can remember, uh, but years ago, I remember when Leighton Ford came to Brisbane. Leighton Ford was Billy Graham's brother-in-law. And so Leighton Ford came to Brisbane and he preached in what was called Festival Hall in uh, Charlotte Street in Brisbane. Uh, I, listen, I'm ashamed to say I also heard Tom Jones in concert there, but just forget that part. <laughs> That's another story. It's a very interesting story. But, uh, but I heard Leighton Ford there. And uh, listen, when I, when I heard uh, as a, as a you know, young man... Billy Graham's brother-in-law was coming to preach in Brisbane. Man, I was going to get there. You know, it's preaching. Get a part of it. You know, I, I just, I, I took a group of 20. And, uh, and we went there and we sat and, and it was just wonderful. And, uh, you know, probably the auditorium isn't that big, but I felt like I was up in the boonies somewhere. I felt a long way away. I had the cheap seats for sure. Uh, but I loved it. And uh, what, a, what a time when the invitation is given and people start moving from their seats and, and they're coming down the aisle for Christ. And I mean, you know, what else can compare to that? It was just wonderful. And I remember sitting there, boy, I'd be moved by that. Uh, I, I heard him preaching and he says, the first time I heard someone say it, he said, uh, you know, uh, someone asked me to come and sign their... It was just a passing comment in the sermon. Someone asked me to come and sign their Bible. I always sign this verse. And I, I clicked on, oh, he signs Bibles. I'd never heard of that before. Now, I've since had to sign a few. Uh, Jack Hyle said, I don't know who started that, but whoever started it should have an ice pick put through their eye. That's, that's what he said. So if you've ever sat there and had just a big... This can go on, you know, a long time sometimes. But, but he said he signed Bibles. So I thought, well, you know, I'm gonna, so I said to my friends, the meeting was over. 
I said, I'm going to go down and get my Bible signed. And uh, they said, oh, get mine signed too. Get mine signed. And I was carrying all these Bibles, truly. And, and I'm trying to keep my eye on him. You know, he's the guy in the suit. I'm trying to keep my eye on him. And I'm making my way down. It takes a while to get up the front. And I've got a big pile of Bibles under my arm. And I go up there and, and I'm, I'm, the stage is higher and I'm on the floor. And I say, uh, uh, you know, excuse me. Uh, hello, excuse me. And, uh, and he looks around and, and I say, can you sign my Bible and some of my friends? <laughs> and uh, he goes, okay. So I hand up this big pile of Bibles. It's the truth. And I'm standing there and they're all coming back, you know. And I'm, oh, thank you. And it's been a great night. It's been great to be here. Mm -hmm. So I, I get the Bibles and I run all the way back to my friends and I, they say, you get it? Did you get it? I say, I got it, I got it. And uh, they all open their Bibles and they're trying to work out the signature and they're going, that doesn't look like his name. And I'm saying, no, no, I got him to sign it. And they said, that's, that's not, that's Irv Chambers. That's the song leader. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? And I look and we had 20 Bibles signed Irv Chambers. I don't even know who he is. Apparently he was the song leader and maybe he had a suit on. I, I don't know. I, he just, they all looked the same. So, you know, that was my memory of Leighton Ford. And then I remember when Jim Wilson came and Jim Wilson, I heard, was Billy Graham's nephew. I thought, well, mate, you know, this is, you've got to go. So Jim Wilson is preaching at the Aspley High School Hall, uh, well, near, not Kirby Road, but near the Aspley High School Hall. So I invited people because it's preaching. It's going to be preaching the gospel. It's fantastic. You don't sit at home and watch TV. It's preaching. And so, so I asked people. I had a friend I knew loosely. He was a police inspector, serving, active. That was his rank. And I asked him to come. Would, would you come and hear Jim Wilson with me? And uh, he said, yeah, Wayne, I'll come with you. You know, you never asked me to stuff like that. I'll, I'll come. And I took him and uh, we went there and he was deeply moved that night. I mean, it was, it was preaching and, and preaching changes lives. Do you understand? I mean, I mean, God uses preaching and, and it's not dead. It's not over and it's not somewhere else. It's, it's, we need it. We need it. We need it. So I love preaching and I love being, you know, it's not, uh, when I say I love preaching, I don't just mean me doing the preaching. I love listening to preaching and I get a blessing. I get a blessing. Someone said to me last night, who's on tomorrow night? I said, I don't know. I didn't. Pastor, I honestly didn't. Pastor called me when I got home last night. I didn't know. I said, but, I said, but whoever it is, I'm going to get a blessing. And I'm, I'll guarantee you whoever it is, I'll get a blessing. Because when you approach it that way, you know, you, you'll get a blessing. You'll get a blessing. Well, that's my time done. So <laughs> show you a couple of pictures. Talked to you the other night about uh, the, the man who had uh, got saved. There he is. Remember I told you about the guy who was a hippie? That's him. That's, that's how he was when he stole the CB radio and the farmer led him to Christ. And uh, dope smoking and, and uh, John Havman, that, 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 <laughs> that picture. That's who he is. Now, go to the next one. So that's him on the left now. So his wife is gone. Uh, that was taken maybe two years ago. 
and that's his four sons. They're all in the ministry. Uh, the one on the end is a missionary in Africa, uh, still serving. Uh, the one beside, Brother Tim Havman, my good friend, he's a preacher in Idaho. Uh, his brother I was scheduled to preach for this year, he's a preacher, Daniel. Uh, Brother David is a preacher right beside his dad. So that's just, you know, God working. Go to the next picture there. That's John Havman sometimes. He's wild. I'm telling you, he's wild. And, uh, but it's wild in a really good way. You know, he's, just, he's wild, but he, he kind, of, kind of moves like this, you know, even when he's talking to you normally. I was having some pizza with him and there was some preachers there and we was sitting outside it was after a meeting. You may have been there, Pastor. We was having some pizza sitting out there and Pastor Murphy met sort of a guy who looked a bit homeless. Do you remember that? And he was talking to him about Christ. So John's talking to me. We're just at a table for two. John's talking to me and John looks around and sees that Pastor Murphy's witnessing to someone about Christ and he goes, you know, mid-conversation, by the way, and I'm like, he goes, Jason's over there witnessing to that man about Christ. And I'm like, he goes, let's pray. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there it is. We, we went down and, and he prayed and then he came up. Anyway, brother, what I was saying was, and he just kind of went on. <laughs> but he's just got a passion for Christ, you know. It's just, just real. He, there was a, he was a church that he had handed over to a uh, a guy, and they had been supporting us, and he handed over this church, and he moved on, and the guy kind of went down a different direction, if you know what I mean, and and uh, and so he ended up leaving, and the church asked Brother John Haverman to come back, and uh, Brother Haverman came back to the church, and, and I saw him a little bit after that, and I said, how's it going? He said, brother, he said, they had dropped your support. He said, under the other guy. And I said, oh, really? I said, I don't go... I, I, I said, I talked to him, I told him, double it. <laughs> and he said, so brother, we've doubled it. And he's just that kind of guy. So, so you know, they're out there, folks. They're just, and they just got a touch. Like he said, you don't have to be handsome. You just, you get God on you. He'd just work on anyone, you know. All right, some of our picture of some of our men, I think, quickly, recent save. Let's go through quick. That was golf when he was in the army, when I first started reaching him. So... Thai men are conscripted at age 20 and uh, most of them have to go and most of them don't want to go. So, so he was in the army. It's not such a bad thing when you win them that way because they've got a little bit of discipline when you get there. They've already had a bit of that broken into them. So when I first reached out to him, he was serving in the army. That's what he was, uh, where he was. Next. And uh, these are just some of his pictures on the army base where he was. And uh, also, I guess, being in the army, sometimes being away from home, there's a little more openness there. So it's harder to get them in the village, but when they are either in the big cities or... And you say, why, why are you trying to reach the young? Listen, we, we, we build a church here on young families. And others came. But, but, but I learned the wisdom of, if, if you can get them young, you know, D D when Danny and Jen were here, they, they weren't even married. And then if you can get them young, you can build a whole family. You can teach them about their kids. You can teach them. They can put in fundamental things in their life. You can grow a great church that way. So I, I do touch. Now, we win old people too, but I go for these because it's, it's great to get them at this age. Also, they have a lot of energy to use for God. So that was, that was golf. It took me eight, nine months or so for, for leading to Christ. Next picture. Uh, this is him uh, two weeks ago. 
And uh, that's Joe standing up the front. I'm obviously not there. I'm here. And what happens, the Thai, the Thai uh, practice, it was just there when I got there, is when somebody is going to get baptised, they come forward for prayer uh, at, the, at the end of the service before they're baptised. It's, it's a really big thing for them. It's, it's like it's the final declaration to the whole world, I'm for Jesus. And so uh, sometimes they take a while to think about it. Uh, but he had come forward two weeks. I'm sorry I missed it because I probably would have baptised him. I haven't baptised many for a long time. I let others do that, but I, I probably would have done him. But uh, he, he came forward. That's him kneeling for prayer. And our people are very sincere. I mean, they're just really sincere. They reverence God. They fear God. They love God. They know they're saved. So, you know, this would, him, him bowing down like that would be really sincere. So that was him before he got baptised. Next picture. Uh, that's him uh, as yet not been down. Baptismal tank we have on the property. It's where we baptise people. And next, and that's him, looks like he's come back up after he's been baptised. And so when we baptise someone, people all stand around. They all come to witness that. Uh, you, you know, years ago here, Brother Alex, some others remember, yeah, Brother Darrell, years ago here when we baptised someone, we used to walk down to the creek. And so, so Brother Hunter, Brother Rissa, others, Brother Blake, would lead us all down to the creek because there was no baptismal here. So we'd all walk down to the creek and we'd all get around the creek bank. That's how we used to baptise people here. Uh, so anyway, we built a baptismal tank now because we were baptising people and there were crocodiles in the place where we were baptising them and that could go ugly really easy. So... <laughs> So, so that, that was golf. Next. Uh, this guy, uh, he's, his name is uh, Krishna. So his parents have named him after uh, a god. Uh, his, his name is Krishna. His Thai name is Bank. And uh, he was in the Air Force. And so I started uh, working on reaching him. Took a number of months. Uh, very poor family when I finally got to go to his house, his family. Uh, uh, and... Uh, Finally, I ended up winning Bank to Christ next. That's just him, his pictures when he was, that's what they look like when they're in the military. Next, that's him at church. Got his hair back. Uh, never wore a tie before, never put on a suit. Doesn't make you a Christian. But I tell you what, when they change on the inside, they like to change on the outside. And so the, we will shuffle around. Who's got a suit? Who's got a coat? Anyone got anything that'll fit this guy? And we get them clothed up like that. Next. Uh, this is the guy who was the folk singer and uh, they sent me this. Uh, he just, uh, that was when his wife had received Christ. So I, I was able to lead him to Christ first and then uh, they were separated. So there was just him. He came and stayed with us a couple of months. Uh, then I finally made contact with his wife. They'd been apart and, and she, she, well, she texted me. She texted me and she said, can I ask you something? Very polite, like a tie. And I said, what is it? And she said, what, what, is, what is a Christian? Uh, she'd found out her husband had become a Christian. So what is a Christian? So I explained that to her. I said, can I ask you something? And she said, uh, you can. What is it? I said, do you still love him? And there was a delay in the response. And then she texted back, I love him very much. And I said, okay. And that was my cue, like, I'm going to try to get these people back together. So I waited and then I had a chat to him. I said, uh, I have something to tell you. 
And uh, he said, what is it? I said, I've been talking to your wife. And he said, I, you know, I wasn't sure how he was going to respond to that. He said, oh, okay. What'd she say? I said, well, she said something really good. He said, what did she say? I said, I asked her, does she love you? He said, what did she say? I said, she said she loves you very much. And then he teared up. I said, how about, how about we go get her? And how about we start, you bring her to church uh, and let her stay with you for the weekend and let's, let's get her in church. And uh, he said, okay. And so we went and got her. Uh, she's a couple of hours away from our church, got her back to the church. Uh, that's his child that he's got in his arm. That little boy he calls BM after probably something. And, uh, and uh, so they're back together, families united. She loves God. He loves God. He's got to go do the army draw on the 1st of next month. So he's, he called me. He said, would you be back to pray for me? Will you go with me? I said, I, I, I don't think I can get back before then. I said, I'll probably be back in April. Uh, I said, but I'll send people to pray for you. So, you know, families brought back together again. Okay, just a couple of lighter moments. I thought I'd show you quickly. Uh, that's not one, but I wanted to show you that as well. That's, uh, that's Curtis and Dow. So Curtis is doing well. Uh, Dow's his... Uh, mm, uh, <laughs> Looks like it's probably going to go to. Uh, he, he has a. He wants to talk to me seriously about something when I get back. So uh, that's where that's at. She's a lovely Christian girl. She got saved in our church four years ago. Uh, they seem to be quite well together. And I just show you that you pray for our family. And I don't know. He's Curtis tends to be shy. He'll 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 probably kill me about showing this. Uh, but she's lovely. A uh, little bit of English, but uh, you know he speaks with her in Thai. Uh, they're faithful in serving. Uh, she encourages him. She, she's, she teaches Sunday school. They seem to be good for each other. There's another one of them next. And they sent me this on their way to church. So they were on their way to church. Uh, you know, you see Curtis still in the shirt and tie. We still do things the way we always have. Don't, yeah, I get it. Doesn't, doesn't make you anything and you don't have to. And that's, you know, no holiness gets added to you by putting that on. I, I get all that. But we just have a way we do some things. It's just always worked. And I just haven't felt the need to change anything. It works in Thailand. It works in a lot of places. It is what it is. But that's, that's them in church. And then a couple of just things next. We try to have a little bit of fun. And uh, read myself. <laughs> but, uh, but sometimes, uh, you know, uh, one, Joshua will say, or one of the kids will say, you know, can we go look around and we'll just go for a whiz around the villages or something on those uh, little motorcycles that we have and uh, and they love that. Thai people like to have fun. You've got to keep it light sometimes. You can't be heavy, heavy, heavy. It's, it's a time when it's got to be a little lighter. Okay, next. Uh, that was yesterday. That's how we fix things. All right, so I don't know why. I keep saying, should we buy a ladder? <laughs> oh, no, we don't need to. Okay. And so... Uh, uh, sometimes there's one, sometimes there's two and another. It's just however high you need to go. And uh, so that was yesterday. They were uh, just working on a, a power issue there. That little house in the back is where Dio and F live. That's on the church property. This is just sort of normal life here. And then the last couple, just a little bit of fellowship, a little bit of fun next. 
that was just uh, fire, them sitting around, they do a little fishing, and they, they try to do things where the staff have time together because, like all church stuff, there can be friction, and, you know, so we purpose to do stuff that they like to do together, uh, and that was next one, and that was, uh, that was the last supper I had with them before I left. So there was a burger place in town in Nakhon Sawan. Curtis reckons it's the best burger place in the world. Now, I don't know that's true, I'd say his tastes have been corrupted, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, they, they cannot afford to go there normally, so uh, it probably cost about $10 a person, so I said I would just take the church staff before I flew out, and uh, that was just together. They're all married, uh, except for golf over on the right, who you, you saw already, golf's the only one there that's not married. Uh, they all have kids, Udom doesn't have kids yet, but uh, they're growing, families are growing. Now, again, uh, we had a, uh, a family in their 50s came to the church last week. We had another one two weeks ago. They're in the church, but I'll just show you a little bit of that. All right, that's it. You're going, oh, no, help us here. All right, let's uh, quickly get a few thoughts and let's go home. All right? I want to uh, show you here the call of God on Saul's life. Now, something interesting here. There is more detail about Saul's calling and equipping than there is about David and Solomon. And that's really strange. The, the, the problem we have is this. When we think about Saul, we think about all that he did wrong. So Saul in our mind, and there's truth in there, Saul in our mind is the guy who failed before David, the good guy, came along. And we all know the things that Saul did that cost him and the danger with that is this, that when you read about Saul, you can unfairly reflect on God in this sense that you can think, oh, this guy was set up to fail. You know, it was, this was going to go wrong. And really, you, that, that's a wrong conclusion to make because God wanted Saul to succeed in what he was doing. And God's never set somebody up for failure. God doesn't toy with you. God doesn't string you out and play with your mind or, uh, you know, put your emotions through the ringer. God, God does not do that. God cares for you and understands you more than anybody else does, no matter how close they are to you. You're never set up to fail by God. And if God comes into your life, he believes and, and purposes that you would succeed in what he's asked you to do. If God was in your marriage, your marriage can work. If, if, if God is in your calling, you can do what you're called to do. There's no mistakes with God. Uh, there's no playing with God. God is, is he's all-knowing. He knows everything ahead, present, in the future, before. So Saul... I believe God wanted to succeed. If we do fail, and some people do, uh, some, some, some fail, uh, that would mean that somewhere we have parted from God because our success is tied to the Lord. Everything we do that, that has eternal blessing on it must come from the eternal one himself. So, so anybody who ever gets saved, none of us can regenerate a man or make him born, get born again. 
We cannot quicken his spirit. We cannot bring him alive. There are things that only God can do. We're not the Holy Spirit. We can't bring conviction of sin and convincing in men's life. The Holy Spirit has to do that. Uh, so if there is failure in our endeavours, uh, somewhere we've parted with God. Uh, somewhere perhaps we stopped listening or God said something and subtly we said, no, that's not so. And we would never say it that direct to God, but we reject what, it, what God is saying to us. Sometimes God sends somebody to us and, and we don't like the message they're telling us, so uh, we don't accept it. But, but God always wants us to succeed in what we're doing. So if we have failed, it would be that we've parted with God somewhere as Saul did. Or actually, it could be this, you haven't failed. You say, but if we have, yeah, but you can think you failed when you haven't failed. It could be that you haven't failed. You're just assessing or measuring by the wrong things. So, so you may not have failed at all. You might be doing quite okay, but you're using a different measurement or you might be comparing yourself to someone else in a different area and that doesn't mean that you fail. Or, or actually what you might be doing, you might be trying to prematurely determine the success of what you did. Because many times things that will amount to great fruitfulness and blessing start off with a dormant period or, or start off with a period that looks, looks a little dark. Now, depending what point you visit the life of Christ, it can look a little bit dark. You know, we, we thank God for the resurrection. It's hard for us to read about the grave without factoring in the resurrection. But there's a whole lot of people there who didn't know there was going to be a resurrection. And it looked pretty grim. I've seen people wash bodies in Isan and Thailand. I, I've seen them pick up the dead. And I'm telling you, the dead are dead. And it's very hands-on over there. Joe recently, his dad died. Joe had to, all the family stand around, Joe had to pick him up and get him up and, and they disrobe him and, and this, within 30 minutes of their death. And then they take a, a wet cloth soaked in and they wash them all down. And, and uh, you know, I talked to Joe about that and I said, oh, it's hard. He said, I have to, it's my father. It's, it's my duty, it's my father. And I said, uh, is, are they, is he, you know, I'm asking all the questions. Is he naked? And he said, I cover him. He said, it's his dignity. I'll not shame my father and I protect him. Uh, but but when, you, when, you wash, when you wash the dead, you don't need any convincing they're dead. They're really dead. And, you know, Jesus was dead, dead. And it looked, it looked like, well, well, you know, I mean, hope was just... Uh, had vanished at the death of Christ and the lives of the people who'd followed him. And it looked very dark. And they weren't sitting there going, two more days to the resurrection. I mean, I'm just saying, it looked really... And if you'd assessed it at that moment, it might have looked like, well, a failure. But it wasn't a failure. It just needed more time to show itself that it was going to be a great triumph. And many times the the... The, the lowness is just preparation for the blessing. Uh, I, I look back on the painful episodes of my life where God led me to a period of brokenness or lowness. Uh, times when I felt terribly alone. 
times when I felt misunderstood and I was misunderstood, uh, times where uh, men had judged me and, and it was hard to, to, to explain and, and I felt so bad at it, I didn't even want to explain. And, but, but all of those things were necessary because God was doing something in me that was needful to bring about fruitfulness at a later point. And depending where you looked at that, it, you know, it can look like it's a failure. So you might be prematurely assessing yourself, but it's not done. You're not, you, this is not the end of your story. This is, this is a needful chapter or two so that the rest of the chapters can be even more fruitful. That can happen. You know, a prune tree looks very bare compared to its neighbours. But just give it long enough and it'll prove itself to be more fruitful than all they. And so it's, it's seasonal. So, so uh, Saul, he was not set up for failure. God wanted him to succeed. Uh, I'll show you the things quickly that God gave him to prepare him for success. And herein lies the interest for Christians today. Because if God has selected a man, and this man was selected, by the way. So uh, God did not call for volunteers but he found this guy and uh, he found him through the circumstances of his life, of Saul's life, led him to uh, meet the man of God and direct him to what was God's will for his life. Uh, so God uh, uh, found him and God selected him. And it's very important to remember because what we think is, you know, Saul was chosen to be king of Israel. He was, but, but you have to understand there was a higher thing going on with God. And it's passed over a lot. And it's in chapter 9. And you should have it marked so you keep context about Saul's life. And God is telling Samuel some things that he hasn't told everybody else. And the Holy Spirit has recorded it that we could know. And uh, he says, I'm going to send you someone out of the land of Benjamin and you anoint him over Israel. And here it is. Here's the reason. The reason is in verse 16 of chapter 9. The reason why God picked him and what his duties were going to be. It said that he may save my people. Can you see that? So there were a people who were needing to be saved. That's not a stretch. That he may save my people. And they were needing to be saved. They were suffering. Uh, in their state. And we pass over this. And, and it's the reason God said their cry has come up unto me. Now there's a lot of things in the Bible that God speaks of as coming up to him. Your sins can come up before God. And, and if that keeps happening, you will cause his hand to move against you. Uh, injustice can come up before God. And when there's a great injustice against people, particularly poor or weaker people, that can move God's hand against somebody. Uh, there, are, there are things that can come up before God. The cry of the suffering can come up before God. I, I believe that many times when a missionary is sent to a specific place, it's because a cry has gone up unto God. And God has seen suffering. Listen, there's a little Thai boy has joined the school. So he came Monday, I think. 
And it's, it's, if, you knew, if you know Yunara, who used to be here, Yunara, who was Cambodian, married a Thai girl, and this is their son. But mum only speaks, I don't think they're here, mum only speaks Thai to the boy. So uh, I don't know, six or how old he is, but, but uh, he's just started the school, so I dropped a coffee off to my uh, daughter uh, today, and I saw him there. He's being taught music. And so I spoke to him in Thai. So I, I said, we'll, we'll test it. Not me, but see if he can. But mum only speaks to him in Thai. So I said to him in Thai, do you, can, can you speak Thai? Do you, do you speak Thai? In Thai. And he went, and he said, I, I speak Thai. And I said, oh. And I said, well, uh, uh, how are you? In Thai. And he answered me. And, and I said, do you know what? I said, I am very happy in my heart that you have come to this school. Now, the other kids didn't know what I was saying, but he knew, he knew, and he, he, his eyes lit up and looked at me, and I said, if you need anything, the kids are missing all this, they're just looking like what the other kids, I said, if you need anything, you ask teacher Miss Shemish and she will take care of you for that. And, and the other kids were going, what's he saying? Well, I don't understand. What's he saying? But listen, I, I walked away and it reminded me of all the little kids over there in Nakhon Sawan and all the other places. And we go into schools and I tell you what, we go in, we try to be a blessing. We do ministry, we do outreach, we give out tracts. But listen, we also help schools. And uh, so we go in, they can't afford an English teacher. Uh, they all want to learn English for their future we provide it for free. That really moves them because they have no money. Uh, the head of education in Nakhon Sawan has met with us and said, thank you so much for what you do in helping these poor schools. And so uh, if they're good, they often get broken up into teams. If, if, they, if that little team wins their English for that day, uh, they get to pick some things out of a basket. So we always have a basket with different little presence in it so maybe six will win they get to pick out of the basket and you know what the you know the the thing that is picked the most out of the basket the the number one thing that gets taken out of the basket is socks not yo-yos not not gadgety things not play things it's socks now those socks cost us one dollar each. Okay, and those, and you know why they pick them out? Because they don't have socks. And when they go home and show grandma or someone at home that they got a pair of socks, it's a big deal. And I want to tell you something. When you get around people living in poverty, doing it rough, uh, have a very bleak future, humanly speaking. That will move you. It will move you. And it should move you. It should move you. And you look at that and you, you realise the only thing that's going to alter all this is Christ. Because this cycle is going to keep being repeated. These are not bad people. These kids aren't even old enough to be bad, if you know what I mean. They, they're just little, little kids. And they, they smile and they run around and we come, they want to hug you and jump all over you. And, and uh, I just believe that sometimes when God sends a missionary to a place, 
is that he's looked down and he's heard a cry come up. And that cry might have been a weeping grandmother. Or that cry might have been an orphan child watching their father being burnt over a pile of wood out in the field as he's being cremated. Or it might be, it might be a lame one that can't even get to school and there's no special schools. There's no one to call and the government sends them around to take care of you. They're often left on a mat all day. And someone will come and I'll give a little bit of food. And I'm just saying that God often will hear the cry of people and he'll send someone. And I don't believe that God's telling all of us to go there. But you ought to support missionaries who do go. Honestly. When you put socks on your child or you go through and say, which pair of socks? You know, remember what I told you. And, and, you know, a little bit of what you have better make its way to the mission field. Or you go and say, which shirt will I wear today? Or, or you buy and discard. And, uh, the, you know, you, you don't give a thought. You say, well, everybody does that. Yeah, but God has seen the global picture. And, and I don't want, no one needs to feel guilty about what you have, but don't forget the poor, I'm telling you that. Yeah, it, it matters. So God said, there's a suffering people here. I'm going to call someone. And then if you look in chapter 10, you'll see that after being talked to by Samuel in verse number 9, I'm going to show you quickly there's four things, and I'll just go boom, boom, boom. There's four things that God gave Saul. And uh, the reason that this matters is because if you were going to pick someone to fulfill a task and you had to choose how you were going to equip them, what you would give them to succeed. So you've picked a man who doesn't come from a military background. Uh, he, you didn't find him in a temple or a place of worship. He's a, he's a farmer's son who was on a task looking for lost animals. And you've selected him now. And he, what's his duty? His duty is you're going to send him to save some people who need to be saved, they're suffering. And he's chosen you. And so it's insightful to say, well, if you're God, and he'll show you here, what do you give him to ensure his success? What, what's, your, what's the things you select to give to someone so that they can fulfill what you've asked them to do? And it's the same pattern today. So uh, Saul hears... Samuel says, meet me in such and such a place. And verse number 9 of chapter 10, uh, Saul turns his back to go to, uh, you know, go back and meet Samuel where he has been told to go. And this is his obedience. So uh, the reason I mention this is he's being obedient with partial knowledge. Are you with me? So God hasn't said, here's, here's the whole story of how your life's going to go. Here's what he knows. Okay, the prophet of God has talked to me under the anointing of God that I have been chosen for this thing of God. I don't fully understand it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't even know where it's going to be. But right now, he's just asked me to meet him somewhere in a week's time. So I'm going to do what he's asked me to do right now. And that obedience is always required before God pours out what is needed to do the task. Hello? So, so people balk at obedience 
when they only have partial information. But if, if, if something has been made clear already, that's enough to obey that part. So nobody went out ever knowing everything. Not back then and not now. Nobody knew what was coming. One year ago, I didn't know about any of those people who were going to be saved. Uh, you don't know what's coming. God will say uh, this. So all he knew was, uh, you go and you meet me, Samuel says, in a week at this place. And it's as he, as he turns his back to go that four things happen to him. Now, I believe if he did not turn his back to go in obedience, none of those four things would have come to him. Do you agree with that? Obedience is always the prerequisite for the blessing and the equipping of God. And you, you, don't, you don't have to be obedient unto what I'm told. You just have to be obedient unto what you're told. So, so you, don't, you don't need to be me or, and, or anyone. You're you. And God is working with you. And we don't even need to know what he's saying. Or That's up to you. But if you balk at obedience, you miss what comes next. And a lot of people lose it at that simple place. And, uh, you know, why do they balk at obedience? I'm scared about what's going to come. Or I'm worried about myself. You know, right now I'm feeling very spiritual because the man of God is talking to me. I'm in a moment, but I know myself. I can quickly get out of this and revert back to the old me. And that's where you've got to trust God that his selection is correct. You've got to trust God that if he, can, if he can touch you now, he can keep touching you then. If he, can, if he can get hold of you now, he can still get hold of you then. And there's a lot of reasons why we balk at obedience or we balk at obedience because of partial information. God, if you tell me more, I might be more comfortable with following you. But I will tell you, God, is not, he does not do that. He's not going to do it for you. He doesn't do it for anyone. He doesn't do it for anyone. You know, he told me, marry Suzanne. He didn't tell me all was going to come after that. But we often sit and talk about how we wouldn't want it any different, how good God's been and how blessed we felt and all the wonderful things God did with us, even through the hard days. We, wouldn't, we, 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 we can look back now and say, boy, he got it right, he got it right, he got it right. But we balk in the beginning because we only we have a word. But he's challenging you. If you can't believe me in this, then we can't go past this. And some of us just keep circling around to that place. And every time we get there, there's like this divine touch, but but we just balk at the hour. We fail the moment. We just we're afraid. And we don't go through. But he did. He turned his back to go out and then God puts four things on him here. And this is a you know, wonderful study, but just let's do quick. Uh, the first thing God gives him in verse number nine is God gives him another heart. Can you see that? It says that when he turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. So God will give you the heart you need to do what you need to do. Uh, I've shared with you before, I did not have any heart for Asia. 
uh, or for going to Asia or for being around Asia people. I didn't have any heart for that. And th- some of you remember that. Some of you know, could say, no, that's true. What he's saying is true. Others think, oh, no, no, you love him too much. You must have always been this way. I was not. I was not. My heart was, was just 100% for Australia and there was no room for anything else to get in. And that wasn't wrong because that's what I was meant to do. But I was just 100%. I'm, I'm Aussie. I'm, Australia's my burden and I'm glad for God's people in any place. But Australia, 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 Australia. That was me. Australia, Australia, Australia. And, and I don't apologise for that. And, and, and I, I needed that heart for that hour. When I used to stand up here, and some of you remember, I'd say, we're going to do something here, not just for you, but it's going to be here for your kids. We're going to build something great for God. Remember, Dave, we're going to build something great for God. It's going to be here for your grandkids. And I wasn't just, you know, gilding the lily. I, I, was, I was in that we were going to do that. And I, and I needed that. But if I was going to do the next thing God wanted me to do, I'm, I'm going to need another heart because I had no heart for anybody else. And some of you are like that, and I know you are, but I'm not troubled by that because you're not there. You'll do your part, you'll give to missions, you should, uh, but I'm not troubled if you're not moved about what I'm moved about. But God gave me another heart, and it happened to me in Cebu in the Philippines, and it happened to me in Papua New Guinea. Uh, but I tell you what, the turning point for me in Cebu came Because a letter crossed my desk, people used to write letters then and invite you to preach, a letter crossed my desk and many letters had come by to me, a letter came across my desk, Brother Fraser asked me to come preach to young people in the Philippines. Now I'd had heaps of those and I had no heart for it and because I had no heart for it, I would just scan the letters and discard them. Brother, I never even prayed. I just wasn't interested in going. And then I remember another one came in. I don't know why that one, but I was actually taking steps to put it in the bin and not in a callous way, but just just to put it in the bin. And as I was walking to the bin, you know, something swept over me where I felt I should pray. And I said, you know, mate, there was no fasting or anything in this. This was This was one of these five seconds, you fling it up and there it is. And I said, well, Lord, if you want me to go, you just let me know as I was discarding it. And clearly, clearly, God said, go. I mean, I, I, he could have been in my chair. I swung around and it was clear, go. And I, I, I honestly, I regretted praying, brother. I, I did. I, I thought, oh, I shouldn't have prayed. And I felt trapped now because now, now what do you do? Do you obey or do you not obey? And you can't tell yourself it's not God. You already know it's God. And, and I, you don't want to go. And I'm thinking, no, no what's going to come out of this? I don't want to go. I don't want to go over there. I, I, you know, I'm not interested. And, and God said, go. So I committed to going. And I got about three or four of the men from here. Uh, and I said, uh, you know, you need to come with me. Where are we going, Pastor? We're going to the Philippines. Oh, that'll be good, will it? Just be ready. And, uh, you know, it was, that was my attitude. And uh, anyway, we went there. I've told you I got there, uh, landed, looked out the window, didn't want to be there. But once I got out of the plane and got on the ground 
and saw the need. And what I saw, I'd never seen anywhere. And uh, there was old ladies bent up with straw brooms, sweeping the road to get some money. And I saw that. And I saw people living on the side of the road in cardboard and tin and smells coming up from the water and they live there. And people just hopeless in poverty. And as I saw that, God gave me a new heart. And I was, I was weeping before I got to the hotel. And I was staying in a good hotel. I'd picked the best hotel in the area. I mean, I, I was trying to avoid all. I, I stayed in a... I was weeping. And when God gives you a new heart, you know, I, I wept and I confessed my sin. And my sin was, I remember saying, God, I'm wicked. I'm callous. I'm uncaring. I'm selfish. And I, 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 I spoke it out loud and I said, God, I, and God just, that was the turning point for me because I needed a new heart, another heart. And you know, if you're going to do what God wants you to do, you've got to have your heart in it. It's really hard to do it when your heart's not in it. So you've either got to get it back or you've got to ask God to give you another heart. But God said, if this man who's a farmer is going to do this work for me, I've got to give him another heart. And God can still give you another heart. God can give you a heart to love your wife or love your husband. God can give you a heart to love your church. God can give you a heart to love people that maybe you didn't love. God has an ability to move over your heart like he moved over the waters that were void and he can, he can create something in you over your heart. And the Bible is full of references about what comes to us in our life is a consequence of what is in our heart. Okay. Now, don't stumble at the abstract nature of that. It's, really, it's, it's a little hard to understand, but it's very clear in the Bible. That, that, that's why God says to keep your heart with all diligence, to give great attention to watching your heart, because out of this will come all the other things of life. So your heart, your heart will be the first thing that gets attacked. Because if the devil can, can quench your heart, harden your heart, put bitterness in your heart, then you'll be ruled by bitterness and not by the Spirit of God in your heart. Your heart gets attacked. Uh, your heart can get attacked by things that you lose your first love and you lose your love for Christ. And then when you lose your love for Christ, you'll lose your love for the things of Christ, his church, his man, uh, his mission. So you must watch your heart. The Bible says the Spirit of God is ever moving across the world looking at hearts. So you give attention to your heart. God said if he's going to do it, he needs another heart. 
He gave him another heart. The second thing he gave him was a new company of friends. And uh, what happened was, is he met, now this is a farm boy. God changes his heart, verse number 10, and he gets, met, he gets met by a company of prophets. And God knew that uh, if he's going to do this, he's going to have to get with some like-minded people who, who are like he is. And so don't cut yourself off from people you need to be around. Seek it out. How far would you go to fellowship with people of a like heart to yours? What cost would you pay to do that? Uh, it's one of the most important things you can have is to, when God puts you with some people who have the same passion that you have, some people who, who are joyful and excited about what you are excited about. And so he was going out and God sent him a company of prophets. So who were they? They were people already sold out to God. They were people already there, but it was like, hey, another one of us is here. And the spirit of the prophets always recognises the spirit of the prophets in another man. They see it. The prophets know the prophets. And so, so God will give a new, that's the second thing you need, is to get around like-minded people. Don't get around people who are poisoning you. Why do that? Don't, don't get around to people who, when you hang up, you're more embittered than you were before you made the call. Why do you, how did that help you? Don't get around people who quench your hope. Don't, don't get around people who tell you what can't happen. Get around people who believe God, have hope in God, believe in the mission of God, Believe in the power of God, the spirit of God, the work. Get, get around that. Get around that. And because you need that. So uh, he said, God said he needs another heart. He needs some new company, some new friendships. So, you know, think about that. And then the third thing God said that he absolutely needs here is the spirit of God. And that's in verse 10. And the Spirit of God came upon him because you can't do the work of God without the Spirit of God, as Brother Fraser preached on last night. I felt, by the way, Brother Fraser, you preached what God wanted preached. I, I happen to believe that. I happen to believe that you said what God wanted said. I, I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit wanted to say, hey, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Because we need the Holy Spirit. It's hard to teach on the Holy Spirit. It's just hard to explain it, but, but, but you really need him. He directs me all the time on the mission field. He's always directing me. He directs me where to go, when to stop. He, he draws my attention to certain people. Uh, he shows me if we have a problem in the church. Uh, he, he tells me what to do when I'm being assailed by the enemy. Uh, sometimes he'll, he'll give me a word of advice at a particular moment, tell me what to do. Uh, when some demons manifest, manifested before me and I saw them and it was so clear and I was a bit mesmerised, staring like I've never seen this before and, and I was looking and just looking and the Holy Spirit just came to me and he said, Wayne, you pray that away now. He just told me, you pray that. And, and when I did, you know, it went. And when other people talk to me, I say, you pray. And they say, Dad, or, or the, my, my people at the church will say, when I prayed, it went. 
a lady in our church was absolutely demonised, demon-possessed. She grew up between the uh, Thai and Cambodian jungle, between the two borders. And I was thinking about this when I told you how God used the donkey. She told me, she said, she said, Pastor, uh, the area is full of wildlife. It's very dangerous. People get killed there. And she said, uh, we had nowhere to live. We had no house. Uh, we had to live out in the jungle. There was no village to go to. We didn't belong anywhere. We had nowhere. And she said, we learned to eat what was in the jungle. We learned to sleep in the jungle. We learned to get by. And she said, when, from when I was a very little girl, she said, my grandma told me, you must watch the dogs uh, because they had dogs. She said, when the dogs stop and sense something, she said, immediately you must freeze and get down because the dogs will pick up a tiger that's out of sight. The dogs will pick up elephants. Elephants kill people in Thailand all the time still. Wild elephants. And so she said, when the dogs do that, she said, my grandma would tell me, you go silent, you get down. She said, we learned to watch the dogs to, to keep safe. Well, her grandmother worshipped all kinds of things in the jungle and all this has come into her and she's demonised and she's got all these spirits in her and She's, uh, her mental health is just crazy and there's a connection between demons and mental health. Oh, you shouldn't say that. Look, I'm not saying it every time, but it's definitely there sometimes. So you can't be in denial about that. And so she's affecting her, all sorts of things. Uh, she's worshipping all these different gods. She's, uh, her, her, her family take her to a temple to get prayed over by monks. Uh, they, they say, our daughter is demon-possessed. Cow me pee is how they say. And so the monks chant over her and throw, and do you think that helped? It just made it worse. So finally, you know, she knows me and we, she's able to get saved. She gets led to Christ. She shares with us. She says, look, I've got a little wooden home up in the hills. She said, I had to leave it because of all the demons. She said, I, I love Jesus now. My life's changed. And she did. God just changed her. Those the demons went out of her. And she said, can you go back with us to the house? I want to clean out the statues that are up there and, and get rid of them and burn them and clear it out and, and claim it back. She said, because nobody's ever been able to live there because of the demons. And uh, so we went back to the house and uh, she told me where everybody was sleeping and it was night and she said she was, now she's saved, she loves the Lord, she's sleeping on the floor, her husband's over there, others, as we had sleeping on the floor. And she said to Pastor, she's really, she's told she Pastor, she said, they woke me up in the night. And I said, oh, she said, she said, they woke me up. She said, I saw them, Pastor. And she said, they spoke to me. And they said to me, why did you send us away? And she said, I went, no, I'm not talking. And she said, I went back to sleep. She was free. She was free. Listen, the Holy Spirit will lead you in stuff like all kinds of stuff. He'll tell you what to do, what to speak, where to go. He'll tell you when to get out of the boat and take a step of faith. You absolutely need the Holy Spirit in your life. And you need, you need to learn to listen to him, you know, because he'll speak quietly, but the demons will shout. 
And you know what will happen? Let me tell you, those of you who have issues with lust, God will speak to you. And at the same moment, you'll get a powerful moving of lust will sweep up over you. And that's a cry to claim away what God is putting there. That's to lure you back to destructive things. I know what I'm telling you is true. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to pray for the Holy Spirit. Say, he's in me, I'm saved. He taught it. You pray for his filling, pray for his working, pray, pray for the moving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do amazing things. And then lastly, so you got another heart, new company, the Spirit of God. And then the last thing here is in verse number 10. And he got an ability to proclaim the word of God. He prophesied. Saul, prophet. Saul wasn't a prophet, but he prophesied. And the word of God and the proclamation of the word of God is central to everything God is going to do in this life. And there'll always be an attack upon the word of God because of its importance. I'm for worship and I don't think sometimes we do worship as we should, but I'll tell you what. The devil would have you worship over here the word of God any time if it has to be in between two. Now it shouldn't be one or the other. But, but, but anything to get the word of God away from you. Any reason to get the word of God out of your life. Because the word of God will change you and the word of God through you will change others. Uh, God said, if this man is going to succeed in the mission I've given him, he's got to have another heart. He needs a new company of friends who think like he thinks. Uh, he needs the Spirit of God and he needs to be an ability to proclaim the Word of God like he didn't have before. And those were the four things God chose to equip a man with that would enable his success. And it's the same things that we need in our life today. It's the same things that work. Let's have a word of prayer together and I'm done. Go ahead, play, Lisa. Maybe play I Surrender All, if you can. Uh, as we're sitting and about to finish the service tonight, maybe God spoke to you about some things. Uh, I don't know at what point, about what, along the way. It might be that God wants you to do something for the poor, for those in other places. It might be a cry for God to just work in your life. But if God has spoken to you, tonight and you would like to afford to use the altar some have come go ahead and just come from your seat now you can come and use the altar you can pray where you are tonight might be a night of surrender where God is saying are we going to go through this again will you hear me tonight have you heard me tonight uh, would you would you are, are you willing to come tonight will you follow my obedience tonight you know the, the Bible warns us his spirit will not abide with us always that the wooing can stop. There can be silence can come. And maybe, you know, the Lord is just challenging some of us tonight to, to, to listen to what he's saying to us, to believe. Uh, maybe we just need to pray.
for a, a filling of the Holy Spirit. I think Pastor Lloyd said it well. It, it can be sometimes uh, how much of us he has rather than how much of him we have. And just for a filling of the Holy Spirit, maybe you just need to pray for another heart. You might be praying tonight doubting that God could even do that. You, you might be thinking, I'm too far gone. I just don't think it could happen. Uh, I dare you, I dare you to call out to God tonight and ask God to give you another heart. I dare you. I dare you. Maybe, maybe some tonight and God, you know, you just need to say the demons are not going to have any li- uh, part in my life. Uh, tonight I'm going to say no to the dark voices that are coming up from the pit of hell. It's not of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I denounce the demons in my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray the darkness and the spirits would be cast out of my life and I'd be loosed from that. Maybe we just need to believe God for deliverance from some things that have just been a bondage of hell. And that needs to be our prayer that if Jesus was here tonight, we'd come to him and grab his garment and fall down at his feet and beg him for his touch of deliverance. Maybe we need that. And that's not out of place in our, in our part of the world. Whatever it is, whatever it is that God has said to you, I'm confident if you approach the throne of grace tonight with a sincere heart, a broken spirit, and a humility of mind that God will hear you tonight. God will hear you. Uh, Take your time to pray. Uh, Altar time is not wasted time. Uh, God, God can help you. If you're here tonight, you've never received Christ as your Savior. You say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got here tonight. I don't know how I wandered into this. You're here tonight because God wants to save you. He wants to save you. Would you you believe? Would you be saved? Uh, May God lead you.